Welcome to the IC Made On podcast. We are so glad that you've chosen to listen online. If you would like to know more about who we are, why we exist, our service times and location, or how you can get involved, then check out our website at icmadeon.com. We hope you enjoy the message today. All right. Good morning, IC Maidan. Wow. Everybody comes to the 10 o'clock service. That's awesome. It, um, just in my personal opinion, I would probably be coming to the 4 o'clock service, 4.30. Um, but now you get, next week, you get to choose to come at 5 o'clock. That's awesome. But you should be coming to all of them, so I'm just kidding. It's going to be great. I wish I could stay here for two weeks. Um, my wife, Kelly, and my daughter, Amelia, are not here. Um, however, I want to show you a picture of my family, if you don't know who I am. Um, that's my beautiful wife, Kelly. A lot of you met her last time I was here, and since then, we have expanded, um, and we now have our beautiful four-and-a-half-month-old, Amelia Jane. Um, so she's doing great. I have another picture of her. There she is. Yeah, so... You know, we did the Indonesian thing and got her ears pierced, but uh, people keep asking me, like, any chowak? Yeah. I'm like, oh. No. (laughs) I'm like, okay. Well, you know, we'll put, like, full-on pink and purple and, like, a unicorn on her chest. And like, yeah, it looks like a boy. And I'm like, have a nice day. You know, it's like, thank you. So... It's great to be here. Um, Kelly and I pastor one of our our church plants in Surabaya. We have a couple, you know, church plants across the country, and it's just great to be here with you. And I just want to say that Pastor Adam's done such a great job uh, taking care of me. I got here a couple days ago, and we've been playing a lot of video games, uh, watching a lot of movies. Uh, We saw Crazy Rich Asians. We saw Predator. Um, you know, he even broke out his American snacks, uh, which if you know Pastor Adam, you might not even know he has American snacks. Um, but he brought them out and it was, yeah, it was nice and fun. So thank you, Pastor Adam. Pastor Chris is, I I just want to tell you again, it's, it's kind of like a goal of mine. You know, when you look at people that are older than you, you're like, yeah, I don't want to be old, you know? It's like you look at your, you know, people older than you, and you're like, I don't want to get like that. And then you meet Pastor Chris, and you're like, man, I'm not even like that now. Like, I got to work on this. I got to be as cool as him. And I, I really mean it. You guys have an awesome pastor. Can you give it up for Pastor Chris? That's right. I think we were all surprised to see him today. I'm so happy I got to, to see him, and I'll see him a little bit more Uh, today and tomorrow. I leave tomorrow, and I haven't had my fix of durian yet. I love durian. Um, Last time I was here, some of you took me to one of the uh, the all-you-can-eat, or not all-you-can-eat, 24-7 durian places, and uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. I haven't gone this trip yet, and I don't know if Pastor Adam likes it, so you know, just we'll talk in the lobby, and maybe we'll go, okay? So I love durian, and that would be fun. All right, Today, we're going to continue our series called Known. Now, if you've been here for the last two weeks, uh, we've been talking about the biggest thing that's important in our life, that's our relationship with God. Pastor Adam mentioned two weeks ago that the most important thing in your life is your relationship with God. And I want to read something out of the book of John that we've been reading every week. It's in John chapter 17. And Jesus is praying, and he says this in verse 1. 
Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him all authority over everyone, and he gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Now, Jesus said this as a prayer and also as a kind of explanation. We said that your relationship with God is the most important thing you can have in this life. And if you want to accomplish a real relationship with your creator, you need to know him. That's why we named this series Known, to know our Creator, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. And that sounds really great, and it might sound a little confusing, and that's why Pastor Adam mentioned a couple weeks ago, how do you know that you know Him? How can you know that you know Him? Two weeks ago, we, we said, well, you know God if you know His voice, You will know God if you know his voice, just like a sheep follows the shepherd. Last week, we talked about the fact that if if you know God, you will do his will. You will do what he says. And this week, we're talking about something that I like to say is impossible. Loving God's people. You will know that you know God when you love God's people. I want to read from John chapter 13. If you have your Bible or your phone, or if you're following us on version, go ahead and, and look at that. We're going to look at John chapter 13, verse 31. If you don't have a Bible, the, the verses are right there. John chapter 13, verse 31. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. And God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I have told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples." Would you bow your heads with me one more time? Let's pray before I continue. Lord God, I just want to say thank you again. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your people. Thank you for this church. And thank you for your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear your word and understand it, that all the glory may be given to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you might not know that this passage of Scripture, what I just read, actually takes place during something that we might be familiar with called the Last Supper. A lot of us are familiar with the famous painting of Jesus and his 12 disciples sitting at this really long table. And what they were celebrating was this festival that the Jewish people had once a year called the Passover. 
Now, the Passover was a massive celebration. Much like our Chinese New Year or Christmas, everybody gathers together, everyone prepares a lot of food. It's a great time to celebrate your national identity and God's faithfulness. Everybody comes together and everybody's ready to have a good time. And the reason that the Israelites were celebrating this is because in Exodus chapter 12 and 13, if you read it in the Bible, you'll hear the story of Moses. And God literally delivered the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt out of Egypt, and he said, this is now how you celebrate what I've done for you. You take a lamb, you take a young sheep, and you take its blood, and you put the blood over your doorframe, because when I come into Egypt, I will destroy everybody who is oppressing you, but if I see the blood on your doorpost, I will pass over you, and you will be spared. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul refers to Jesus as the sacrificial lamb for our sins. So Jesus walks into the room. It's the Last Supper, the Passover. And his disciples understand everything that I just told you. They understand the significance. They understand the importance. And in their minds, they're ready to have a good time. They're ready to eat food. They're ready. They've prepared a whole table filled with everyone's favorite foods. They've, you know, all of this is about to happen. And Jesus walks in and he does something totally out of the ordinary. Without saying a word, he walks up to his disciples and he gets down on his hands and knees and he starts washing their feet. And then he stands up, and he looks at his friends, and he says, one of you will betray me tonight to be crucified. Why did he have to do that? Why did he have to ruin the celebration? Let me explain this to you. In ancient Israel, it was totally unacceptable for a teacher or a pastor like Jesus to do what he did. Much like here in Indonesia, we respect our elders. We all know that no matter what, whether you like them, whether they're right or wrong, whether it doesn't matter, you respect your elders, and that's a really good thing. And even more so in ancient Israel, you respect your teacher and your authority, and it was never acceptable for a teacher to get down and serve those who were being taught. And then he gets up and he says, one of you will betray me. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, love one another just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Now, why would he say new? Why would he say new? I thought Jesus talked about love all the time. I thought it was already all over the Bible. 
I want to look at another story in the Bible. It's in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. You guys still with me? I know it got deep real fast. All right, hang on. We're going to make it. All right, so if you have your, if your Bible, if you're following again on your phone, go to Mark, chapter 12. This is another story about Jesus and the religious leaders around him. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the religious teachers of the law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of the religious law replied, spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. You know, I find it interesting that Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the world, didn't look at this religious teacher. It's like, it's as if he wrote a textbook. If you wrote a textbook and somebody who read your textbook started asking you about what you wrote, all you have to do is tell them, well, I wrote the book, so I'm right. It's funny, though. Jesus didn't do that. He actually quotes the Bible. He says, love God. That's from Deuteronomy 6.5. It's part of what's called the Shema. The Shema was something that people woke up every morning and said. And this is what they said. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Jesus also references Scripture and says this from Leviticus 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He ends his discussion with the religious leader by saying, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In another book, talking about the same story in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew writes it this way. Jesus said, The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, for you and me, the entire law and all of the commandments not, might not make sense. But you have to remember that by the time Jesus' disciples were 13 years old, they had memorized all of the first five books of the Bible. They memorized it. And Jesus is not just talking about the original Ten Commandments. 
That's where it started. Moses went up onto the mountain of God. He got these two giant stone tablets that had the, command, the Ten Commandments, the way that people are supposed to live to follow the Lord. But the Jewish people were so worried about sinning that they actually added an additional 613 laws that they are supposed to follow every single day. And if they broke one of those laws, they would have to run to the temple and sacrifice something to remove the sin from their life and come back. I can't even imagine 613 laws that I have to follow every single day. I can't even remember to push the toothpaste from the edge of the toothpaste holder and my wife gets mad at me. And in a way, Jesus categorizes all of these requirements of being a follower of God into two categories. Love God and love mankind. Now, why did I say all of that? Why did I go into all of that? When Jesus walks in to the room at the Passover celebration, he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. And right then, his disciples remember everything I just told you. All of those requirements, all of those laws, all of those commandments. And Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love God and love mankind like I have loved you. Jesus totally changes the atmosphere. It's supposed to be a celebration. And he does something completely out of the ordinary. He washes his disciples' feet. He tells them that someone will betray him. And he gives them a new, complete most important commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, I said earlier, that's impossible. How could I possibly love somebody like Jesus loves somebody? How can I love somebody the same way that their creator loves them? I'm starting to understand now, as a young father, there's no one in this world that loves my daughter as much as I do. Not even my wife, not even Gary. I love Gary. <laughs> Nobody will ever understand how much I love my daughter except me. And Jesus looks at his followers and says, now you, I'm about to go fulfill the Passover as the new sacrificial lamb. Nobody realized what was about to happen. He was literally going to walk in the room. He gave them a new commandment. And as he walks out, he's going to be the sacrificial lamb for all of the forgiveness of their sins. And he leaves them with this commandment, love each other as I have loved you. And that is impossible. And this morning, we're talking about how do you know that you know God? 
How do you know? How are you certain that you know God? You hear his voice. You do his will. You love God's people. You know that you know God when you love God's people. And today, I want to tell you three things on how we can love God's people because it's not impossible. Number one, act out of God's love. How do we love God's people? We act out of God's love. We can act out of our feelings and our emotions. And as I'm learning every time I come back to Maidan, that that's really easy because things here are very frustrating. Traffic's frustrating. Things are just, you know, oh, Barusan Habis. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, my goodness. And then the expression that I learned the other day is just like, any Maidan, bro. It's like, okay, I see. Thanks. You know, it's like, that's frustrating. And the reality is there's something deep down inside of you that makes you who you are. There's something deep down inside of me, past my emotions, past my feelings, and that's called your soul. It's something that I've been talking to my church about. There's something deep down inside of you, your soul, that you were actually created to connect with God and with other people. The very essence of who you are was created to connect with God and to connect with people. And that's not just your feelings, your emotions. So we don't just have to act out of the way we feel, but we can actually act out of love. You know, the Apostle John wrote another few books in the Bible outside of the Gospel of John. And there's no evidence to this, but I wonder when he wrote them if he was remembering what he wrote in his Gospel and if he was remembering the night that Jesus was betrayed. I want to read from 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. I can't help but wonder if when John is writing this again, he's a much older man now, and he's reflecting on what Jesus had said, and he was saying, this is real love, what he did for me on that night. And then he said, you ought to love each other as I have loved you. And that's exactly what John writes again. And he ends by saying, if we love each other, God lives in us. 
And his love is brought to full expression in us. We can love God's people when we act out of God's love. When we choose and we seek God's love to come through us and be made into full expression from his love. We are commanded to act out of God's love because God's love defines how I love. God's love defines how I love. Number two, love completely. We can love out of God's love. We can act out of God's love. But the second one is that we need to love completely. At the very beginning of the chapter in verse 1, John says this, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Now, if you were reading this book of the Bible in its original language, that phrase in the Greek language, he loved them to the very end, actually uses the present tense continuous verb, which means Jesus loves them forever. The way that John writes this down is what Jesus was about to do was proof that he loves forever. I was given this example when I was getting married. I have a picture. There it is. It's a picture of me and Kelly that we were trying to look really cool and artistic because you can't see the half of our head. And you can see that I'm actually not the same height as her. When we took that, I had to go like this. Um, But, you know, my wedding day, I learned a lot. I remember my boss, my pastor in Surabaya, actually flew to America, and there were about 15 people from our church that came, and he did my wedding. And before I was married, he looked at me and said, let me just give you a little lesson on marriage. When you get married, it's not one plus one equals two. It's not 50% plus 50% equals 100%. So you give 50% of the effort, you give 50% of the effort, and then now you're made whole. That's not how it works. Because there will be a day that one of you makes a big mistake, and you'll be at 0%, which means that if the other one is only giving 50%, you're left with 50%. But the way that you now have to live, the way that... You're only going to make marriage work is if you, Tim, give 100% and you, Kelly, give 100% because no matter what each of you does, even if you make a mistake, there's always 100%. And that's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. That's the kind of love that John explains that Jesus has for you and me. It's all the time. He continues in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify 
that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in, all who live in love live in God. God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. We are commanded to love completely because it is proof that God lives in us. It is proof that God's love is in us. We're commanded to love like Jesus loved, and we can do that by acting out of God's love, and we can do that by loving completely like Jesus loved. And the last thing, the third point is to love immediately. I told the the example, the story of of the Last Supper, the Passover, Jesus walks in the room and the first thing he does is he walks directly to his disciples and gets down on his hands and knees. He doesn't say anything. He gets down on his hands and knees and he starts washing their feet. Now, you need to understand, in ancient Israel, most people wore what's now coming back in trend, the Roman leather sandals. And you know, girls wear the Roman leather sandals and that's like really cool. So, They wore those everywhere, and their roads were not just dusty like they are here. You know when you wake up in the morning, and it's already 7 a.m., and you've already got a sapupel, it's like, come on, it's all dusty again. No, it was dirty. The roads were not paved. They were full of mud. When it rained, it just got muddier. The animals would do their business on the road, and that's what you stepped in. And these disciples had been walking everywhere. And they get to this, this place, and their feet are gross, and there's stuff under their toenails, and it's hardened on their feet. And another thing you have to realize is when the ancient Jews ate, they ate on the floor. There was no table. The painting is a lie. <laughs> they sat on the floor. The food is on the floor. You have to sit on these weird little pillows and lean on each other to your left. And then if you want something, you kind of have to go like, hey, Jesus, can you pass me the salt? You know, it's, it's kind of weird. And think about it. If your feet are covered in hardened, gross mud, they're right next to the food. You don't want that kind of stuff next to your food. So it was customary that you wash your feet. Jesus gets down, washes their feet. Verse 12 says this, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down. And he asked them, do you understand what I was doing? Yes, thank you for washing my feet. Now I can eat. Of course we understand. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now, Jesus isn't literally talking about washing each other's feet. 
He took every idea of social status and threw it out the window. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what other people think. I'm going to love them and serve them right now. Let me give you one more example. I have another picture. If we could put that up. This is a picture of my first date. Kelly and I just celebrated five years of dating. <laughs> we're married, okay? But I'm just saying we also like to say that we're still dating. You know, if you're in a relationship, you should still celebrate things like that. It makes it more fun. All right? So that's our first date. You can see my awesome car in the back. Uh, you know, if you go to Singapore, the taxis, that's the same car. So I love that car. I named it Black Shadow. Um, I made sure on this date that I had waxed it and vacuumed it, and it smelled great, and I had a really good, like, soundtrack ready on my my iPhone that I was going to play in the car and you know everything was ready I wore my favorite pants I loved those pants and I also loved that shirt you know I was just that, that was like that was me right there and we went on a date and I had no idea what to expect so I had to be ready I've told the story before if you were here in February that I took Kelly to a local coffee shop and, you know, I thought coffee, it's pretty natural, not too weird. I ordered a latte, she ordered a latte, we sat down, and I said about ten words. And then for the next three and a half hours, it was as if the heavens had opened out of her mouth, and she wouldn't stop talking. And it was just like telling me her whole life story, all of these details about who she is, and I knew right there, this girl... If she wants to talk to me that much, she must be comfortable with me. Score. You know, it's like, <laughs> this is awesome. So I went back to my room. I went back to my dorm room at college. I'm like pumped up. You know, I walked in. My roommate's there, and he's like, how'd it go? I'm like, dude, I nailed it. You know, the car was nice and like everything. And then all of a sudden, something hit me like a brick wall. And I was like, dude, this means that like on the next date, I have to do all the talking. It's like, and I don't know what to say. It's like, this is not good. And so from that, that point on, that moment forward, I invested my time, my money, my creativity into going all out to win that girl over. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. it worked. Okay, anyway. I realized that, okay, I got to step it up a notch. So the next, you know, the next date, I was like, baby, we're going to go somewhere real nice today. You can have anything you want there. She's like, ooh, are you sure about that? And I'm like, anything, babe. I, I want to impress you. She's like, oh, wow, okay, where are we going? And I'm like, going to a little place called McDonald's. <laughs> and she's like, Yes! You know, and that's, that's really when I knew she was a keeper. And I'm telling you this story because when you're in a dating relationship or in a marriage relationship, you love unconditionally. It gets even better when you're married. And you keep investing, and you keep putting in, and you keep working, and you keep loving. And it just keeps getting better and better and better. And Jesus gives this example of serving right here, right now, no matter what else is going on, I will love you. I'm going to ask 
a couple of the musicians to come up from the worship team. We're going to close shortly. I want to say something that I think we all know. It kind of is cliche. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. We've heard it before. We've said it before. If you're a little bit older than me, you remember there's a band called DC Talk. They wrote a, they wrote a song called Love is a Verb. Okay, nobody knows that song. Go Google it after this, okay? It's an awesome song. Jesus loved from a position of humility. Jesus loved his disciples and other people with an eternal, unending love. And Jesus loved as the full expression of God's love. But how in the world did he do that? Well, that's an easy question to answer, Pastor Tim. He was God, but I'm not. So we're back to the very beginning. This is impossible. Love other people like I love them. Jesus, that's impossible. Here's the good thing. I said this to a couple that I married uh, a week and a half ago. Right, right in the middle of the ceremony, we had a moment where we took communion together. Somebody was singing a special song and I had a minute with the bride and the groom. And I looked at them and I said, now listen, I want you to understand something. When it comes to loving each other and when it comes to trying to love each other like Jesus loves you, you need to understand this. God doesn't want you to try your hardest. God doesn't want you to try your hardest. What are you, what are you saying? Of course I've got to try my hardest. I've got, to, I've got to serve. I've got to be part of the dream team. I've got to go on a missions trip. I've got to give all my money. I've got to worship hardcore. You know, I've got to be here all day. And that's not at all what Jesus is saying. God does not want you to try your hardest. God wants you to know him. God wants you to stop spending your time trying to be perfect and start investing who you are and your heart into getting to know him. That's what he wants. Let me read this for you. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, we have been made right in God's sight by faith. And we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. We know that. You and I have been made right. We have been made righteous by what Jesus has done. It's already done. 
everything that's required of us, not those 613 laws, nothing else, nothing we can do by our perfect strength because it's imperfect. Jesus has already done it for us. And you might be still sitting here saying, well, how can I love as Jesus loved? How? It's required of me to love my family. It's usually not that hard for me to love my friends because I get to choose them. But how am I supposed to love everyone, especially the people that I really don't want to? Let's be real for a minute. Verse 5. And this hope, the hope that I just explained, that Jesus has done everything, He made you right. He made me right. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When Jesus came into the upper room and he was celebrating the Passover, he didn't walk in and say, I'm about to go die on a cross for your sins, and then that's it, I'm out. He didn't do that. He came in. He gave them an example to follow. He said, remember everything I've done. Love as I have loved. I'm about to go take care of everything for you so you don't have to do it yourself. And I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. If you don't know, the Holy Spirit isn't just something that God gives you to feel good about yourself. It's not something that God fills you with to make sure that you're a Christian. It's something that God gives you so you can live a life that's empowered with his power. It's something, it's a person that lives inside of you that fills your heart with his love. You want to know how you know God? You'll love his people. You want to know how you love God's people? Stop trying so hard and ask him to fill you with his love through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you love God's people. That's how you know you know God. That's how you have a close relationship with him. Because now, in other parts of the Bible, actually in the book of Romans, it says, stop trying to walk this life by your own power and walk in the Spirit. That's what it's all about.